For the past 21 weeks, we have been in this incredible letter to the Romans, and we have learned that our salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ, that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, meaning we're all a mess. There's a penalty to sin, we found out. That penalty is death, eternal separation from God. But God loves us so much, he sent Jesus to pay the penalty that we deserve so that we can have eternal life. Wow. If, if that were it, that, that would be enough. And if this were an infomercial, I would say, but wait, there's more. Okay, good, good. You'll catch on by the end, I'm sure. Because today we are going to get to a verse that is absolutely astonishing. That's why it's, but wait, there's more. We're gonna get to a verse. You're gonna wanna go on your social media and actually use the mind-blown emoji. That's what this verse is today. So I'm gonna title the message, but wait, there's more. So you'll know how to play the rest of the time, right? I'll say, but wait, and you'll say, very good, very good. As always, we're gonna read God's word, we're gonna examine God's word, we're gonna apply God's word, we're going to pray over God's word. Basically, what did God say? What does he mean? And what does he want us to do about it? Let's pray. Father, uh, we're so thankful that we have this opportunity to, to hear your words today. Uh, help them come alive in our hearts and help us respond to them. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna start Romans chapter eight, verses 12 through 17. Verse 12, so then, brothers, and we're gonna stop right there. We're gonna stop right there, so then, brothers. Brothers is a very important word here that Paul uses. It's an affectionate term. It is, uh, it is a very familial term, and that's how he addresses the Romans here, and as, as we're gonna find out, this really is a message. This really is a passage about family but I want to spend a little time on the so then. So then is another word for therefore. And as we have learned many a time in this place, if you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to ask the question, what is it? Therefore. Pastor Jason is going to be so proud of you when he comes back here next week. You got to ask, what, it, what is it there for? So in the first 11 verses of chapter 8, we learn that the Holy Spirit lives in us, dwells in us. The Holy Spirit gives us life and the Holy Spirit sustains us and gives us the assurance that God will hold us till the end forever that we might have life. So then, yeah, you can hoot, hoot about that. That's good. Um, so then, therefore, in light of that, live like this. So therefore, so then, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Debtors is the same word as we learned way back in February, Romans chapter one, verse 14, under obligation. There we were under obligation, eager and unashamed to share the gospel. Here we are under obligation to something and not to something. So we are in debt, we are debtors under obligation, not to the flesh, not to the flesh, which is our inclination to sin or be in opposition to God, not to the flesh, because the flesh 
doesn't have a claim on us anymore. We don't have to listen to our flesh anymore. Our obligation is not to our sinful nature. Verse 13, for, therefore, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So he says there's two ways to live. One way leads to death. One way leads to life. And this should be a a big flashing red light warning, warning. And when you see a warning in the Bible, that is a gift to us from God. That should stop us in our tracks and go, I, I I need to pay attention to this. And the warning is we can't play around with sin. Genesis chapter four says, sin is crouching at my door. First Peter chapter five says, our enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We, we, can't, we can't play around with this. When I got saved, it's about 2007, I wind up in a church in Pasadena, California, and there were some awesome guys there, and they came alongside me, put their arm around me, and said, hey, we know this is new for you, so we're going to help you out. But, but these, these guys were pretty intense, and, and they got in my face, and they're like, so what are you reading? Hey, have you read Sinclair Ferguson's Children of a Living God? Hey, how about Jonathan Edwards' Religious Affections? Hey, have you read John Owen's Mortification of Sin? I'm like, whoa, hey, I got, I got saved on Tuesday. <laughs> I, I am still working my way through the back of the shampoo bottle. (laughs) Lather, rinse, repeat is the extent of my reading right about now. But in God's kindness, I bought those books. In God's kindness, I, I, I bought the books, I read them. I didn't understand most of it. But I do remember in John Owen's Mortification of Sin, his most famous line, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. He uses the word mortify, which means put to death, uh, to to annihilate. Uh, In the the Greek, it's thanatao, which is a great way to say it because it literally means a violent and final end to it, thanatao. We've got to go after sin with shock and awe. We can't, we can't wean ourselves off of this. We can't continue to hang out with it. We can't be texting sin every once in a while. Hey, sin, how you doing? Just checking in, miss you. We, we, can't, we can't do that. But what can we do? Well, there's a couple of things we can do in our battle. One is use God's word as a weapon. Use this as a weapon. And that's why scripture memorization, that's why memorizing verses in the Bible, it's not just to look cool at your small group. It's it's so that we can use this as a weapon. In Ephesians chapter six, Paul writes about the armor of God and most of the armor is is defensive, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. But the offensive weapon that he talks about is the sword of the spirit, the word of God. You know, when I was 
when I was single, um, I, I didn't have the internet. And this was a time period of about 2004 to 2010. And I, I, didn't, I didn't not have the internet to save money. I, I, was, I was trying to save myself. I didn't want the temptation. I was trying to put to death that which had been killing me and using the word of God as a weapon. So many nights crying out to God and, and, and literally asking him if he is going to have a wife for me to, to allow me to reserve my eyes for the woman that he has called to be my wife and just crying out to him, you didn't give me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind and, and crying out, but among you, there must be no hint of sexual immorality for that is not proper for God's holy people and crying out to him things like, I know when my foot slips, you will hold me up with your righteous right hand. Using God's words, I, I used that this morning. I was on my knees this morning saying, you did not give me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. We have to have these verses in our hearts. So think about your own particular battle and what, what verses you might memorize and have in your heart. There's a second way. A second way we battle this, if we want to live a life that brings life, and that is knowing we've got help. So let's check this out, second part of verse 13. But if by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, we will live. John says in chapter 14, God's going to send a helper, capital H, Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit living in us, we get to act who we are in Christ, which is dead in sin and alive to God. We can't get this victory on our own. We can't win this on our own strength. The only way we can win this battle is to look to the one who won. The only way we can win this battle is to look to the one who gained victory over sin, and that is Jesus. We have to look to the cross. John Owen calls this preaching the gospel to ourselves every single day. So important that every single day and through the day, we are looking up at the cross and saying, Jesus took my place for my sin, took a penalty that I deserve because God loves me. As believers, we need that gospel as much as non-believers. That's what Tim Keller says. So at this point, I think it's okay to ask, what are, we, what are we still dabbling in? What are we still hanging out with? What are we still texting every once in a while? Is it lust? Is it anger? Is it gossip? Because one way leads to death, and one way, putting those things to death, leads to life. We can't. We can't ask the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, who lives in us, to look the other way for 20 minutes. We've got to go after it. We've got to assault sin, and we've got to cling to that cross. So you could look at it that way, assault sin and cling to the cross. So what happens if we live by the Spirit? Glad you asked, but wait. 
there's more. Good, good, excellent, excellent. Chapter, uh, chapter eight, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons. And you can say daughters too. For all those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons. If I had a bell, I would go ding. For, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I hope you just breathe that in. That is amazing. And we're not even at the astonishing point. This, this doctrine of adoption, and, and a doctrine is what the whole Bible says about one particular thing. This doctrine of adoption is incredible. How incredible? God makes us part of his family. <laughs> if I had a mic that I could drop, I would drop it right here. God makes us a part of his family. He brought us into his family. Adoption in the Greek is weasothea. And that means placement as sons, and you can add daughters, placement as sons or daughters. And just like today, adoption in Roman times, huge deal, big deal, big ceremony. Uh, money was exchanged and the child that was being adopted, his debts and his obligations from his previous family or his previous life were wiped clean, wiped away. And he comes into this new family with all of the rights and privileges of that new family and nothing and no one can take that away from him. Does that sound familiar? As we preach the gospel to ourselves every day, our debts have been wiped away. And now we are in a new family. Same thing. And that's why adoption today, and you may be going through this process right now, adoption today is the most beautiful, magnificent way to look at God's love as he adopts us as his children. Now, I think we've got to, I think we have to stop and talk about something here. We're all friends. We got to talk about something that is not very popular in today's culture. And that is the notion that we're all not God's children. And you may have walked in here today thinking you were God's child, but we're gonna find some stuff out today. We're not all God's children. Satan would love for us to believe that we're all God's children because then we wouldn't have to trust in Jesus to be welcomed into God's family. John 1.12 says, if we receive him and believe in his name, he gives us the right to become his children. On the flip side, those who do not believe in Jesus are not children of God. In John chapter 8, Jesus talking to the most religious people of the time, the, the Jewish leaders, he says, if, if you love me, 
This is, this is amazing. If you love me, God would be your father. But check it out, because you don't love me. And then he says this, the devil is your father. So there are those who are children of God and those who are children of the devil. And sadly, I get that. Because it was only a short time ago that I was in the latter category. It was only a short time ago that I thought we were all God's children and I was living life that I thought was to the fullest and I had the cool jobs and, and the cool cars and, and all of the things that I thought would satisfy me and it turns out all they did was bring me to such a place of brokenness and despair that I only had one choice cry out, cry out and ask God to save me. I had no idea that he was going to call me his child. So to the Jewish leaders that Jesus said, the devil is your father, there was a, but wait, there's more. Because God loves you so much that even though you're not in his family, he said it to me, even though, David, you're not in my family, I've made a way for you to be in my family, for you to join my family. But God, who is rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our sin, made us alive together in Christ. <laughs> See, God loves everyone. There's no question about that. But not everyone is his child. Not everyone is saved. And we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. We are called sons and daughters. And what makes us sons and daughters? Back to verse 14. All who are led by the Spirit. Because all those people... Who are these people? All those people have the Spirit. So if you're adopted by the Father, follow this. If you're adopted by the Father, you have the Spirit. And that means since the Spirit lives in us, we do the things that the Spirit does. Love Jesus, hate sin. This isn't being led in a direction. It's being pulled along with. There's a difference. And if you're ever kind of in that place in life and you're saying, well, you know, I kind of feel led to do this or date this person or take this job, or if it doesn't line up with this, it's not from God. This led by the Spirit is to follow the Holy Spirit's leadership. So we're sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. Wow. So as sons and daughters, what do we get to call him? What do we call God? I call, I call my father, dad. And I don't think, and he's 87 years old. Hopefully he's, he's watching right now. He gets up early. Um, I don't think I've ever called him father. I've never picked up the phone and said, hello, father. Uh, I, <laughs> 
but I have a tremendous respect for him as my father. But I have this intimate relationship with him as my dad. And that's what we have here in Christ. We get to combine this reverence of our holy, perfect, righteous, heavenly father along with the intimate benefits of being able to call him Abba, Father, Dad. And Abba is an Aramaic word, intimacy. Such a thing, intimacy. So we get the intimate benefits of adoption into God's family, and we have access to him through our faith in Jesus. We, we, actually, we actually have access, reverence, and sonship. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit is not witnessing to us. It's not like we you know, went to... Uh, Chipotle after church today and share the gospel with somebody. Now, the Holy Spirit is witnessing with us. And this is really important to go back to Roman times when adoption, which was a legal transaction, that there was money exchanged, there had to be witnesses. There were seven witnesses to the agreement between the child and the new family. So the Holy Spirit is our witness along with us, testifies with us, corroborates with us that we have been adopted into a new family confirming we are a child of God. Witnessing to the fact, witnessing to the fact that we were born again. To this day, to this day, when a baby is born, there's a birth certificate. On the birth certificate is a witness. This baby was born by this mother. My, my birth certificate says I was born in Philadelphia, citizen of the United States. But on September 26, 2006, I got a new birth certificate, and that birth certificate says I am a citizen of heaven. Amen. Amen. Yes, absolutely. So the Spirit is our witness that we are God's child. But wait. That was okay. But wait. Okay, because this is the astonishing verse. This is the one. This is a verse that John Piper says is in the Bible to make Christians dance. I will save you the horror of me dancing up here today. But this is the verse that I talked about earlier. This is the astonishing one. This is the one that stops us in our tracks. If this is not the best if-then statement ever, it's gotta be on the Mount Rushmore of if-then statements. Are you ready? Okay. Verse 17, and if children. So the Spirit is our witness. The Holy Spirit witnesses that we are a child of God. If children then heirs, heirs of who? Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Oh my, <laughs> yeah. 
We, we, we've got to read it again. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if that did not take your breath away, you weren't paying attention. If there was ever a time to scream in church, that would have been it. Because that's, that's the grand slam. That is, that's everything. God says in his family, not only did I bring you in, you're my heir and you're equal heirs with my son. <laughs> yeah. So, sometimes, sometimes we just got to take a moment and go, wow, we are able to call Jesus our brother. We're not partial heirs. We don't get a small percentage of the estate. Everything that God gives to Jesus, he gives to us. We have these rights and privileges, and we go from not just knowing about God, but we go into knowing God. I, I, know, I know things about my dad, but because he's my dad, I know him. I know who he is, and this is the same thing. But here's the problem. Sometimes we, we don't live like that, right? It's not easy to live like that all the time. Sometimes we don't live in, let alone the fullness of our salvation, or even that we're heirs and co-heirs. We've got to remember, we were once his enemy. I was once his enemy, enslaved to sin, but now I'm enslaved to righteousness, and our greatest crisis, my greatest crisis, is already been handled by Jesus on the cross. Susie Larson, who is going to be speaking here, one of four speakers at Women's Conference, 2019, October 4th and 5th. Get your tickets at revolution.church. <laughs> See what I did there? She describes it as two tables. One table is a rickety old wooden table with a couple of scraps of bread. The other table is this long banquet table with this big candelabra and every delicacy that you could possibly want. And God says, I made a way so that you don't have to sit at this table anymore. You can feast on everything that I have to offer in Jesus Christ at this table and you don't have to go back to being a spiritual orphan because I have called you to be a son and a daughter. John chapter eight says, a slave has no, no rights, no permanent place in the family, but a son, a son belongs to that family forever. And if the son sets us free, we are free indeed. And if we've been set free, we're no longer slaves to sin. Are we just singing that song or are we believing that we are no longer slaves to sin, that he parted the sea so we could walk right through it, so we could be called children of God? We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation that we may sing his praises. I mean, think about it. We were once not a people, now we are a people. We once didn't have mercy, now we have mercy. Wow, that's, that's, that's when you use the mind blown. That's, that's that emoji. But it's easy to forget it. Ever go to a sporting event or, we're gonna look at it this way. I always bring it back to something sports related. You ever go to a sporting event or a concert or, or a NASCAR race and somebody 
Somebody lays some VIP tickets on you. You're like, oh, this is gonna be sweet. Not only do I get to sit in a suite, but I get a parking pass and there's no traffic and all the food is free. I get to go on the field or backstage and meet the rock star. I'm in the pits hanging out with the drivers and it's awesome. And then you go to your next sporting event or your next concert and you're sitting way up there and you sat in traffic for a long time and it's $11 for a Coke. And you're like, I don't wanna go back I don't want to go back to a game or a concert like that. I want to go back to the VIP status. It's the same as an heir. Why would we want to go back to being a spiritual orphan eating off of this table when we can have the fullness of sonship with God our Father? Amen? And sometimes it may just start with how you're hearing God. To live as a son or a daughter, it may be just understanding how you hear God. A few years ago, my wife and I went to a marriage retreat at Windshape. And we were asked that question, how do you hear God? And my wife began to weep. And she said that she heard God like this. Oleana, you did it again. What am I going to do with you? I am so disappointed in you. But that day, she stopped hearing God like that. Maybe that's how you hear God. She stopped hearing God like that, and she heard the truth of God as Abba, Father, who gave everything to adopt her into his family. And she heard God, Holy Anna. Yes, you did it again, but I love you so much and I gave everything for you and I will always love you. Come to me. Totally different way to hear our Father. And that's what makes sonship so astonishing. We get to change our approach to God. Ooh, I almost, I did dance there. We. <laughs> It's more of a hop than a dance. Uh, we get to change our approach to God. Instead of approaching him as a slave master who only relates to us based upon our performance, we get to approach him as part of our family and we get to call him Abba, Father, Dad. And he responds, I love you. you. You may never have heard that from your earthly father. But here, you're hearing it from the creator of the universe. And J.I. Packer says this is a benchmark of a Christian, is how the Christian understands God as Father. Another way to look at it is anybody here in the Witness Protection Program? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> you were made. Um, in the Witness Protection Program, people leave their city, they get a new city to live in, they get a new identity, a new job, but quite often, they wanna go back to their old city, back to their old job, back to their old identity. We are heirs, we have a new identity, a new life, but we act sometimes like we're just happy to be here and we don't live in the fullness of sonship. 
We don't live in the fullness of being a son or a daughter. And as heirs, we, we get an inheritance. We don't have to go back. We get, an, we get to look forward. An inheritance is something that is happening in the future. And you know what the inheritance is? It's not all the things of the world. It's not all the things that I thought were going to bring me satisfaction. Our inheritance is God himself. Is that worth it? Is he worth it? Do you want only what the father can give? Or do you want the father himself? So we've come to a place where we clearly see that there are two ways to go. There's a life that leads to death, and there's a death to sin that leads to life. And what Paul is saying here is you can go after all of the other stuff. You can go after all of the stuff of the world, or you can receive the sonship. So you can worship the world or have sonship with the Father. You can worship the world or have sonship with the Father. But wait, there's more, there's more. Oh, the end of verse 17, provided we suffer. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. That doesn't sound like a, but wait, there's more. That sounds more like a, but wait, I got some more for you. You mean we have to suffer because we are Christ followers? We have to suffer and live differently and obey differently because we are following Jesus? We get to suffer and be rejected? We don't have to. We get to. We get to because... They rejected him, and Jesus says they'll reject us when we follow him and live for him and give our lives to him because we are co-heirs with him. We're co-heirs with him, which means we get to be like him. This isn't like be like Mike. This is we get to be like Jesus. So is that worth it? Are you kidding me? For the glory that is set before us, you betcha. It's absolutely worth it. Remember, Paul said in Corinthians, I've got this light affliction. I've got this little affliction. What he's talking about is to follow Jesus, he was shipwrecked three times and he didn't have Wilson to hang around with. He was was beaten, he was stabbed, shipwrecked again. He was robbed, he was imprisoned. And he says, it was worth everything. Everything. Everything that I have experienced is worth it compared to the experience that I will have in eternity with Jesus. And what do we do? We freak out if we can't get a spicy biscuit because it's 1035 and they stop serving breakfast at 1030. We lose our mind if we don't have Wi-Fi. So, so we've got we've to look at it and compare the sacrifices versus the reward. And there is no comparison. Maybe you've played a sport or your kids are playing sports and you understand that it's not all about the game. The preparation and the hard work is in the practice. But what happens when in the preparation and the hard work, it gets too grueling and you give up? 
You never make it to the game. When you make it to the game, you might win, you might lose, but you, you have that opportunity for victory. And what Paul is saying here and what he said to the Galatians is, do not grow weary of doing good, for in the end you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. He's saying it's worth it. He's saying don't give up because we can get fired up for a little while and then we start feeling the cost of following Jesus and it gets heavy and we can walk away. And Paul says every rejection, every hardship, every moment of suffering, every long suffering moment, it is worth it because Jesus is enough. Sometimes the suffering looks different. My wife was in Southeast China for a year, 2009, 2010. I have a lot of wife stories today. And, and she would smuggle Bibles in, in her luggage. She went to an underground church because you couldn't go to church publicly or you'd be arrested. And one of her friends left one of the Bibles in a taxi cab and the cab driver reached for it and started screaming and tearing it up. And her friend was like, great, here we go. I'm going to prison. And the cab driver in broken English said, no, 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 I'm not mad. I'm, I'm ecstatic. I'm tearing this up so I can share it with my family because we don't have Bibles here. We can't go to church here. The suffering and the persecution might not look physical. We've got to, we've got to look at our day-to-day suffering And we've got to be okay living a life that doesn't make sense to others. The longer I follow Jesus, the more that makes sense. This is how we live a life as sons and daughters. All this is leading up to, all right, how do we live a life in the fullness of sonship, in the fullness of being a daughter of God? We got to to live a life that doesn't make sense. We've got to be here on a Sunday when other people are playing golf. Nothing wrong with golf, but we got to live a life that doesn't make sense. We've got to bring our kids and check them into Rev Kids where they're going to learn about Jesus on their level. (laughs) Your sons and daughters, they're living it out as sons and daughters, raising over $7,000 already for kids serving kids. Other parents may be taking their kids to play sports today, and there's nothing wrong with sports, but we have to live a life that looks different. We've got to fill up our driveways and our our streets a couple times a month with cars because we're hosting small groups in our home. We got to be okay walking across the street and saying to our neighbor, hey, you don't know me, but uh, I saw your fence was broken, and I've got some friends at church. We'd love to come over on Saturday and help you fix it. We've got to be okay giving up a Saturday and participating in our Serve Saturday opportunities, which are coming up next Saturday. We've got to be okay maybe even driving an older car, living below our means so that we can be generous, so we can fill up backpacks, so we can give to the multiply initiatives so that people can hear about Jesus at churches we're able to plant in Kenya or in Jasper. You know what they're doing in Jasper right now? Today, they're meeting at the shell of the building that we're gonna move into soon. And they're gonna sing over that building and they're gonna pray over that building and then they're gonna grill some hot dogs because you're generous, because you're a generous church. We've gotta be okay fasting for a meal a month 
so that our neighbors nine minutes away in downtown Canton, who are food insecure, which means they don't know when they're going to eat, can get something to eat because you're generous. We got to be okay fasting for a meal a month so our church family, our literal church family in Kikiring and Tia, Kenya, don't starve to death. We got to be okay asking a coworker, hey, have you ever thought about your eternity? We've got to be okay not only saying we would die for Jesus, but we would do all these things. And these are not radical things. This is not living crazy, radical Christian lives. This is what it should be like to live life as a believer, to follow Jesus. We've got to stop living a life that's just okay and live a life that is worthy Worthy of what God did for us. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, and he called us sons and daughters. Now, you may have walked in here today and you thought you were a child of God, but this clearly now says you're not. And you may have walked in here today and you thought you were a child of God because you grew up in the home of a child of God. Or maybe you walked in here today and you haven't understood anything I've said, but this notion of being a child of God sounds pretty sweet. If any of those were you, here's my plea. My plea, and it's a plea, is that today is the last day of your entire life and all your eternity that you are not called a child of God. That today is the last day that you are his enemy, like I was his enemy. My plea is that today is your adoption day. So everybody close their eyes. We're gonna pray right now. If that's you, I pray that it is your adoption day because there is in scripture, The verse that says, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And yes, that means we're all a mess and there's a penalty to sin and it's eternal separation. Eternal separation from our Abba, Father. But God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to take that penalty for us, for you that you might have life. So if you want to be able to be able to call yourself a child of God, repeat after me. doesn't have to be exact, but do it to yourself. Repeat to yourself, Lord, I thought I was a child of God, but I found out today I'm not. I can't believe that you would call me a son or call me a daughter that you call me an heir, that I am a co-heir with your son, Jesus. I recognize that I have sinned, that there's a penalty, but Jesus paid my penalty on the cross and three days later, you raised him from the dead. Father, I wanna call you Abba, Father. 
I want to be your child. Will you save me? Everybody keep their eyes closed. If, if that was you, if today is your adoption day, will you raise your hand as high as you can? Raise it real high. Thank you. Thank you, as high as you possibly can. This is a celebration. This is your adoption day into God's family. And everybody else, everybody else who has already trusted in Jesus, this gospel is, is not to have a better life. This gospel is that we were dead in our sins and Christ died for us. Trying harder not to sin is not the way to walk in victory over sin. The key is to become so distracted by and so lost in God's love that you worship him and that you forget about your sin. He created you. He delights in you. He's not disappointed in you. So Father, Abba, help us assault sin. Help us cling to the cross. Help us see ourselves as sons and daughters that we can cry out to you, not with big fancy praying words, but we can cry out to you like our humble, loving brother Jesus Abba, Father. This is how we live as sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen.